Hey, it's Travis Oscar Mike Radio. How are you doing? Uh, number 227 on January 28th, 2021. Hope your uh, new year has started off as uneventful as possible. And, you know, every time I get on here, we don't have to talk about people solving the world's problems, even though that's cool. We don't have to do anything else. We can have a good time. We can just talk like two dudes talking the five-tonner Humvee back to the pause after we do our thing. And, and that's kind of what I really want to do tonight because I got a really, really cool dude who, uh, you know, I, I met in the Boston area, fellow Marine, you know, grunt, even though I'm airwing. Sorry, Daniel. His name's <laughs> Daniel Field. We've got a lot in common. Welcome to Oscar Mike Radio, my man. Great to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. It, it is fantastic, dude. And, and, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that you look at me and you look at Daniel and you be like, what do they have in common? Right? Yeah, I can see where you think that. Yeah. Well, just look at the hair. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he has more hair on his face than my entire body. And certainly more on his head than I could ever hope to grow again. So let's just start there, man. That is an impressive beard. Thanks, man. I start. I actually just started growing it out for the uh, Bruins playoffs one year, and then I looked in the mirror and kind of liked it, so I just kind of kept growing it. So it's been probably six, seven years now. Yeah, I, I it, it just it, no. We're just not even going to talk about that. That's that's very that is impressive. I must admit. And so he he is a, a, a grunt, an O three eleven. I was an air winger. We're different there, but we are still U.S. Marines. So it's like you know. And we saw each other, right, Daniel, at the Irreverent Warriors Boston Halloween party event. Yep. And I walk in, and there's this dude who I know they got Chris Edwards or, or doing the um, is it Chris Edwards or Chris Helmsworth, excuse me, doing a uh, yep. Thor. I got to tell you, man, you did a better Thor than he did. Like, <laughs> I believe that you're a Viking coming off the ship, getting ready to do Eric the Awful on the landscape. Like you were believable that night. That's, I mean, that is what we strive for, right? Got to sell it. You did, you did, and you weren't even trying. That was the best part about it. Well, that was the best part about that costume. I didn't have to get in character. It was me. So, isn't that that's the best? That's the best. And you know, we started talking, and we're like, "Holy crap, man! We got a lot in common." So, just very briefly, if you would just kind of go over your military service, and sure. then we'll get to, ladies and gentlemen, the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I went to Norwich University for two years in the ROTC program. Um, really figured out during that that being an officer wasn't my speed. So I dropped out in my sophomore year, uh, enlisted in early 2008. Um, got st uh, stationed with 125 out of Devons and uh, did my thing there for four years until 2012 when I got medically discharged uh, due to an asthma attack that apparently that was not planned on my part. Um, but yeah, did my thing with them for four years, got out, went back to school. Um, again, figured out the college really wasn't my thing. Likewise. Uh, well, Gee, who knew Marines aren't into that book learning stuff? 
<laughs> well, it's, yeah, but it's not. I don't have a problem learning. I do have a problem sitting in a chair for you know an hour trying to extrapolate what some dude is putting out there. And that, that is absolutely it. A ton of money to, for the privilege. And then you realize, I don't know about you, you realize that it's just my experience that it really is simple as showing up and putting this and stuff and you're going to pass. And then no one cares if you got an A, no one cares if you got a B. All they care about is seeing that you have that. The Daniel, is it the ultimate participation trophy or what? Pretty much is. I mean, like there's that old joke, what do you call the guy who graduated last in his class at medical school? Doctor. Right? Uh, so, you know, it really, I mean, for me, I think the moment I knew that school was not my, my speed is I was sitting in, I think, a history class, class which is weird because I'm a huge history nerd. But I was just kind of sitting there like, and it just kind of popped in my head, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I could be out making money or just improving myself on my own. Meanwhile, I'm paying money to sit here and listen to some dude talk for an hour and a half about something that is not anything to do with what I was going to school for, which was engineering. And that happens. And it's not that I don't want to learn. It's not that I, I embrace ignorance. It's just like, okay, how, if it's not impacting my mission focus, I'm not interested in it. It's just, I don't have time. Yeah. It's just like, I was like, I was going to school for engineering, like I said, and I'm sitting there in creative writing and history, which is stuff I already did. So I'm just like, okay, or like you say, this has no bearing on my mission. So why am I here? Well, I mean, and these are the kind of things folks start talking about. And it's like, wow. I'm, and, and, you know, hey, we're in different age demographics, different backgrounds. I'm not, I'm not even from Massachusetts. And it's really interesting, man, how no matter where, where you go, you sit down, you talk to a Marine. And, and, you know, we did different MOSs, but it's still the same because every Marine's a rifleman. There's still basic stuff that we align with. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've been part of a couple of vets groups now, including Reverend Warriors and uh, Massel Vets and a couple of other places. And it's really great. Like you said, you can just sit down and never have met that person before and just talk. And it's like your best friends in five minutes because we all we all went through the same things. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you get out of the Marine Corps and you, and you get into your current role now, we meet. And, and, you know, the reason I'm doing this, ladies and gentlemen, is just so you can see that, you know, hey, we didn't know each other. We are very different dudes. But there's still some things that bond us together. One's our Marine Corps service, but two, because, you know, we started talking because we were in the same original gang. We meet at the Reverend Warriors uh, Halloween party event. I want to be a, a big shout out to Gladys who put that on and, 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 you know, had a fun time for us all. And if you missed that, you missed a great time. And so Gladys, thank you very much for keeping all of us hooligans in line with all the masks and restrictions. Uh, I can tell you, Daniel, I had a fabulous time, right, Dan? Yeah, it was a great time. I'm really glad that uh, people like her and whole bu- and the other guys who run IW are out there to really put in the work and make sure that we have safe and positive events that we can all go to and just, you know, hang out with other vets. 
Absolutely, man. So we're hanging out. And, and we talked about our military service. We, 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 we cracked we cracked your skulls a little bit because he's got, he's got the hammer. And I'll, I'll have a picture of, of Daniel with the hammer. And we start talking about music and Warhammer. And that is when it got <laughs> lit. So let's talk right? about music first, man. Let's talk about music first because, you know, what got you into music and what's your favorite type? Absolutely, man. Like I, I've been in music my entire life. My parents kind of got me interested in it. A huge uh, rock and metal fan. Uh, Just a very fun genre. It speaks to me, especially seeing it live. Just no other feeling like it. I'm just getting in the pit and thrashing around and doing what we do. Um. And then I got away from music for uh, for a little bit because I had other stuff going on. I wasn't really paying attention to the scene very much. And then I was at work probably five, six years ago. And I heard um, The Lost Battalion by Sabaton. And I'd never heard them before. Never hadn't really listened to metal in a while. And it was just fucking awesome. And I within like three days, I ended up owning half of their albums. I just couldn't get enough of it. And that kind of got me back into it and got the gear spinning. See, this is what I'm talking about because I picked up Sabaton's Careless Rex album and I am like, you've got to be. Fantastic record. Yes. And then I started really digging into how uh, they're a Swedish metal band that is committed to telling, writing songs about wartime from a historical standpoint. And it is crazy how I, I love especially what they do is that they talk about the event and the people who fought it without politicizing it in either either way i mean it was it, they don't like say who was right or wrong or who was good and bad it was these were men fighting a war and re- this event happened it really does especially their their last album which was really featured around world war one was just incredible. the great war was fantastic great fantastic record Right, and then they had that special uh, about the Bismarck, uh, that video about the Bismarck, which, I mean, it's like you said, it's right like the story went. No real uh, commentary, no real opinion. Like, here's how how it happened. And then, um, I don't know about you, man, but they have that 82nd All the Way. That was a great tune. Um, that, obviously, we we both know what my favorite song off of that record is. Is it well? Would be uh, one that involves well, involves our our brethren, uh, Devil Dogs. That's a freaking awesome song, and they really kill it. Like I'm like the, these guys didn't serve; they did it right, and, and it's just I mean, yeah, one of my favorite bands. Guys, guys who are not veterans sing that passionately about you know the battles that we all uh, talk about, and really do it with such conviction. And, you know, there's a channel on YouTube, uh, Sabaton History, where they go into the history behind all their songs. And it's really great because you get to hear the actual story of what they're singing about because you get the very basics of it because, you know, you get a three minute song can only do so much. But it gets people interested and it gets people want to learn more. And then you get also get the insight into how the song was written and stuff from from members of the band. No, really cool. Uh, there's a video where they do a second all the way and you can see them, you know, uh, I don't know if it's that video, but there's one of the videos where they're watching the, the reenactment, right? And the whole band is in the balcony and they're waving American flags. 
And I was really struck by that because I'm like, a lot of times you think the euros really don't give a care about, you know, Americans anymore. And some of those people really do care about what our forefathers did for them. Yeah. And um, I've seen them three times live and they bring that up. Yeah. Really? And when they, they bring that up during their shows, um, especially when they start singing about like American stuff during world war two. In fact, I remember one line from Joaquin, he was just sitting there. It's like, I just want to thank you guys. Thank you guys. Because without what America, what your grandfathers did, we would probably be singing the song in German. Uh, um, And they do really um, have a way of bringing that to your average metalhead who most of us are not very martial people, mostly just big giant nerds in a lot of yeah. cases. But come and, on, dude, uh, when you hear through the gates of hell, on the way to heaven, through the Nazi line, oh, one, Primo that, Victoria. And his voice is perfect for that too. I mean, just does, that deep booming like, baritone. I'm, I'm looking for my freaking, you know, 782 gear, my freaking M16. I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's like, let's, all right, let's do this shit. <laughs> I might, I might kind of hobble to the fight, but I, I can shoot still. I mean, get me in. Yeah, right. Uh, sufficient speed, acceptable drag, right? Thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It, 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 and it's, uh, it's really great. And, and so, I mean, yes, yes, yes. So, what's your favorite instrument, man? Are you a guitarist, bassist? Uh, I am a guitarist. I want to learn how to play bass as well, uh, primarily so I can do motorhead stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm a guitarist right now. I own two. I have an Ibanez RG, and then I have my Epiphone Flying V, which I absolutely love. That's uh, patterned off of Richie Faulkner from Judas Priest. It's a copy of his guitar, and it's absolutely fantastic. Did you ever watch any of the Motorhead documentaries? Yeah, they're great, aren't they? I just, I'm like, would a guy like Lemmy be allowed to even surface out of the underworld of rock and roll today? I don't know. I mean, they were barely allowed to do that back in the 70s. Well, true. I mean, when you look at it, the record industry absolutely hated those guys. But he had one of the most loyal fan bases ever. And I've always wondered what, what, what did he do that was that, that really connected with fans the way the way he you, did. you know i think it was really just that he had that spirit of rock and roll of i don't give a shit i'm gonna go out there and play it loud and uh, play it loud and play things i want to play and if they don't like it they can uh, yeah, they can yeah. fuck off yeah and yeah. that's really and that was really what motorhead was for the entirety of their career well, they were just that band that just went out there and played it like they like they wanted to yeah, he really, he really, you know, had said in his documentary, I never really had a direction. I just woke up and I said, you know what, that's cool, and I'm going to do it. And if people think it's cool, great. If not, I don't care. And and you don't find that nowadays. Everything is put through a focus group and a profitability filter. A lot, a lot of a lot of metal bands are like that these days because you know it's not a. We'll put it this way: you don't play heavy metal to make money. <laughs> Because there's certainly other genres out there to do that. Um, but it's for the people that really, really love that form of music and really form that basis of what that uh, genre is about. Um, but like that's, there's this e- that ethos of 
you know, just going out there to play the music you want to play and saying it loud and proud that kind of became a core part of the metal scene. Well, I got asked why I got into it. I grew, I grew up in a very uh, Bible-centric household, and, you know, that was not allowed. So I got asked why I got into it. I said, you know, some of the most honest people I've met are metal fans. You know, you yeah, just, man. I mean, you see them with the tats and the, and, and, the, and the shirts on, and they, yeah, they're the nerds and the outcasts, but they're, they're honest and comfortable with who they are. They're not putting on a show for you. And I, and I really started to, you know, embrace that, man. It was really... You know, once I once I started doing that, I found all these great experiences and people and music. Yeah, and one thing I love about the, the scene too is how um, welcoming they are. Most people are like there are you do have the elements that are like you know super purist, but most people are just like, hey man, if you're down to throw horns and and uh, bang your head with the rest of us, then come on down. Well, I mean, and there's no better band. My 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 one of my all time faves um, that's still rocking is Hatebreed. They really embody that. Yeah, hate, hate breed. I've never gotten super into. I know some of their stuff though. And I like what I've heard, and they're like you say, they do have that very, very much of. Hey, come on down and party with the rest of us. Right, right. right. Um, so, who else are you into? Uh, my favorite band is Judas Priest. Really? Um, just absolutely phenomenal band. Been doing amazing work for the last fifty years now. Has it and, been that long for Rob Halford? Yeah, well, he joined in 74, so about 46 years. But yeah, the man's almost 70 years old. And I saw them live in 2019. He can still sing like that. Get out. They played Victim of Changes, and he hit every scream in that song at 68 years old. I'm like, how? Like, what, are you, what are your vocal cords made of? It must be like Teflon or something. I, mean, I have that's... no idea, man. Because, but uh, no, they're they're my favorite by far. Uh, Motorhead, probably number two. Again, just because of that sound and that attitude of, like the man says, we are Motorhead. We play rock and roll. And, and, and it is rock and roll. And, and I really always liked that Lemmy played a bass, but played it like a lead guitar and made it work. And and then he goes into the documentary and shows how he did it. And I'm like, you know, it's really not that. It's just turned up really loud, and he just beats the hell out of the Rickenbacker. It, it, it yeah, was, I mean, he yeah, he literally just over overdrove the hell out of his amp and played it like a four string guitar. And that was I've never seen anyone else do that. Right. And it was a really unique sound that was pure Motorhead. Um. Other than yeah. that, like you know, um, a lot of the stuff I've been into lately is a lot of newer bands, a lot of them coming out of Sweden Yes, uh, that are all playing this 80, uh, 80s traditional heavy and speed metal that's absolutely fantastic. Like uh, these guys, uh, Ambush. Okay. They're uh, only been a band for like five for like five years and they are, I think they have four albums out and I've played, I own every single one of them. They're fantastic. You ever um, 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 hear of Hammerfall? Yes, I've seen Hammerfall live. They opened for I Sabaton last time. I, they opened for Sabaton last time I saw. I missed them. that show because I had something else. I was so angry, but I saw them. It was, gr- it was a great show, man. They they ended Hammerfall ended their set with a rendition of uh, "America Fuck Yeah." <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw them twice. Actually, no, I've seen them twice. Yeah, they were uh, Metal Fest in 2016 when I was there. So I they were see. they were really really solid live. 
I didn't see them at Metal Fest. I saw them at the Palladium. Um, they were the, the headlining act, and they put on a heck of a live show. Yeah, they, they really, really did a great job out there. And I mean, I've seen them as an opener, so um, I've never seen them as the headlining act, but I would willingly go see them. Yeah, and that's the thing, man. There's a lot of like like um, Swedish bands, you know, bands from Finland, you know, who are, you know, really lighting it up. And, you know, um, I, I got to raise my glass for a second to Alexi uh, Lawless from, not Lexi, Lexi. Um, Lexi Lyle, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, brain fart there from Chilling the Bottom. I mean, that was a, I love every album they put out. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never gotten super into it. I'm not a huge fan of death metal in gener- as a genre. I mean, I've been getting more into it as I go here, but no, he was a fantastic guitarist. Um, right. One of my one of my friends is, is that was his favorite du- dude, um, and it really sucks to lose a guy like that, who's uh, that obviously talented and can consistently put out that kind of stuff. And from what I've heard, he was a great guy too. Right, right, right. And so, dead at what forty-one years old? I'm telling you, I'm lucky to be alive. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, not... we're, we're lucky to be alive for more than one reason. <laughs> well, a couple for you and me, but definitely, I'm, I, I feel grateful. I'm still taking in air. Um, so, you got into guitar, and, and you know, what's it like when you play guitar? Because you know, I, I look at Satriani and. and you know, Steve I, Aaron Johnson, and I'm like, you know, they're, they're not human. They, they are absolute machines. Um, like you see, you see dudes do what Satriani or Steve Vai or Yngwie Malmsteen does. And it's just like, I know how to roughly how to play the instrument and I'm still sitting there watching them, watching their movements. Like how, how are you doing that? <laughs> Like I'm watching them do it, and it's just something that you just can't replicate. Like for me, like for me, I like I just kind of mess around, play. Uh, I play some stuff, but you know, just kind of play around, see what I come up with. For the most part, really, it's more just about. I mean, for me, I just, it helps me focus a lot. And about three years ago, I started playing, and I was in a really a fairly bad place at the time mentally, and it just helped me out so much. Where I just got to focus. And, you know, just do something I could focus on for or take my mind off of something for, you know, an hour a day. And it was really good. And that's actually where I came up with the idea for Vets Rock. That's right. You have the, the group Vets Rock, man. That's, I think that's where we kind of really first connected. It, yeah. we, we, we connected physically at IW Halloween 2020, which was awesome. But it was Vets Rock. And I'm, and. and you know, we're, you're like, I, I, I couldn't believe you're into that music, Travis. I'm like, yeah, I really, I really like that stuff a lot. Well, yeah, man, but it, it's, it's funny though, right? Where it's like, you don't fit like the typical mold of like the metalhead. Like me, like they get it like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I tell but, people, uh, well, maybe I'm more metal than metal because I don't fit the mold, but I'm still metal. Do you know, that's actually an excellent point. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, I, I don't care if you wear a suit and tie, go to work, or if you, you have a beard down to your balls and you're stud up. As long as we like the same music, I'm like Man of War, man. They can <laughs> stop us, let them try. But for heavy metal, I'm, I won't die. But you know what I'm saying? It's it's a part of life. <laughs> it's a part of life. Yeah, man. And oh, Man of War, what a band they were. Jesus, it's fantastic. Just 
huge regret. I the, absolute, like, the absolute pinnacle of just like no get no shits given send it <laughs> right and, and, and they and they they were they were very good musicians but they weren't like trying to be virtuosos you knew you were getting what you were getting with a man of war show all the time pretty much the out you could just take a look at the album cover and like yep okay this is pretty much exactly man of war loud over the top bombastic and you're gonna love every second of it right and, and, and for, if you're into norse mythology I was really impressed that they went through some of their albums and really told some of the the backstory of Odin and and the gods yeah, and, and brought to life. Yeah, that was the that was the cool part I think with them is it gets it's part of the music as well, and it's got something for everybody. Like you say, there's a lot of mythology that goes into their stuff, and if you're not into that. I mean, there's just a whole lot of straight up headbanging and, and loud guitar work going on if that's what you're into. So like that, it's like kind it, of something it, for everyone. It worked for me, man. It worked for me. I mean, all the time. And, and uh, I'm just waiting, man, for some, some, you know, the herd. I'm waiting for live shows again. Absolutely, man. It's I, been way too long since I've been to a show. I, I actually had tickets to for a show in September that was Sabaton opening for Judas Priest. Oh my God. And I was just like, I saw that on Facebook. I was like, as soon as tickets went on sale, I was just like, yes, going, don't care how much. Um, and unfortunately that never happened. So I think they're going to try to reschedule it for this year. Um, but that, that should be a fantastic time. And I feel bad for all these bands who would really love touring and really want to get out there. And they're just not able to because, because of the situation right now. So I know a lot, I know a lot of bands are, you know, using this time to record new material, stuff like that. And it's gotta be really tough for them to not be able to go do what they do. I gotta tell you, I mean, I'll be honest. I got so used to being able to check out the band on YouTube, buy their album if I really liked them. But I never really thought live shows were my thing because I'm buying the album. I'm only coming through once a year. I don't care. But now I'm like, you know, I took it for granted. I always thought that, you know, you know, I'm glad I saw Rush when I did before they broke Absolutely, up. Absolutely, man. Talk, talk about the loss of a freaking legend, man. Neil Peart is probably the best drummer of all time. Best drummer and one of the best songwriters. When you really start digging into some of the concepts he was trying to write about, I mean, and I oh, yeah. his, his book I mean, they, they, they talked about so much stuff and did it in a very creative way. Such that, like, it, it didn't, like, they had a message to send, but it wasn't. It didn't, they never came across as preachy. No, it was all. They were always just kind of telling their story and singing and singing about what they wanted to sing about. And like some of those songs too, like this this iconic music songs like Twenty One Twelve or uh, Working Man. That heavy guitar riff in the beginning throughout it. That's just a hundred percent rush to me. And then Getty Lee on bass and the synth. Just that man's a multi talented guy. I'll tell you what, you know, I, I listened to 2112 and thought, yeah, 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 it's kind of out there. But I'm like, you know, if we're not careful. This is pretty much where we're going to be at. This, this, this is kind of where we're going to be at. And someone's going to find an old guitar buried in, in, a, in, a, in a casket somewhere or in, in an archaeological dig and start a revolution if we're not careful. I thought 2112 was one of the most underrated, you know, 30 minutes of music you, you could ever hear and um 
really had an effect on me. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, it's amazing that you can come up with just a 20 minute rock symphony and pretty much hit all the bases in that, uh, in that period and do it in that spectacular way where it's very clearly written that the music itself is telling the story, even in addition to the lyrics. And that takes a lot of talent to write like that and make it all come together. Well, it, it was just an amazing band and they're gone, which is why I think it's important to see these bands if you can before they go. Yeah, I mean, uh, I never got the chance to see Motorhead live before they were all gone. And right. even if they did tour again now with somebody else, it wouldn't be Motorhead. No. Right. I think one of the best things is the other two members of the band said, we're going to let this just be the end. And yeah, really be, what it, to be what it is and let it stand on its own. We don't need to keep doing it. And uh, they've both got their own gigs now. I mean, Phil's doing his stuff with Phil Campbell, Campbell and the Bastard Sons. Uh, Mickey D's back with uh, the Scorpions. So, I mean, it's good. It's good. Um, speaking of old bands, I'm starting to dip my toe into the Iron Maiden, uh, you know, pool. Yes. And I'm oh, really, yeah. well, I mean, you know, growing up in a, in a, in a church-centric household, they're the devil. They're evil. If you listen to them, you're going to hell for sure. <laughs> Which is really funny about bands like Maiden, especially with some of their lyrics, or even bigger one is Black Sabbath, where, yeah, they use dark imagery to uh, talk about their music, but... Um, some of it's actually, if they listen to the message behind the behind the lyrics, it's actually a very Christian kind of message. In, the, in a lot of cases, like uh, the best example I have for that with Sabbath is uh, after is after forever, which you know, no no Christian ever listened past that line. Would you like to see the Pope on the end of a rope? Do you think he's a fool? <laughs> no, no, they they don't. They didn't endear themselves to anybody that way, but. You know, that's the thing, you know, and I, and I try to tell people, I'm like, yeah, you had the Motley Crews and the Poison and, and all those guys, and they had their time in the sun, but there's a lot of metal that's kind of really introspective and irreverent, and, and it's kind of, I think that's why, you know, now being out, I really identify with metalheads like yourself because, you know, we're in a reverent, dark funny you know like rush was was deep but they could also laugh at themselves yeah that's that's the thing i liked about a lot of bands is they don't take themselves too seriously like i mean you look at even some of the early black metal bands where where like uh venom where throughout the entire 70s like the entire metal community was you know like no we don't actually worship the devil you know it's it's fine we're fine then 1981 rolls around and they come out with Welcome to Hell with a with a goat's head and a pentagram emblazoned on the on the album cover, and everyone else is just kind of sitting there like, uh, "Did we mention they're not with us?" <laughs> and it was really it really wasn't about that. And you're like, yeah, they use satanic satanic language and stuff like that, but it was it's really just more about the metal attitude of just going out there having a good old time and doing what we do. Well, that's one of the things that, that kind of irritates me is, you know, you think the military and everybody thinks country music. And I'm like, no, there's, there's actually, or rap music, you know. And I'm like, there's actually a, 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 a subcult of the Marine Corps, especially that, you know, if, if you're in the metal, you might be a staff NCO and you might be a E2, but 
there's a bond there you're not going to have with anybody else. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that twigged me to starting Vets Rock was that I'm like, I, I'd say I, I did this and it re- like really helped me out. And I've always been a rock and metal fan. I knew a bunch of other Marines that were. So I kind of put it out to some of the guys in the group, like, hey, if I did, if I started a group that's about, you know, music, and especially if you want to learn to play and stuff like that, we can really start getting something together and even just talk about stuff we love, like we're doing now, or uh, hell, my, my eventual goal now is to try to get enough people together to actually uh, get a band going and start playing some shows. That'd be awesome. I'm trying to learn the bass and it, it's slow going and I got a, a acoustic guitar uh, that I got through a give a veterans guitar program. I, I'm kind of, you know, part of the problem is, is these aren't really meant for guitar strings. Yeah. I have a similar problem where I have these giant bear paws and, <laughs> right? and um, I, actually, I actually had a problem when I first started playing where I had to get a thicker gauge uh, strings because that high E string, I just could not feel it at all. <laughs> it's just like I could be on it, I could not. Who knows? Well, well, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's all part of the learning process. And, and you mentioned how it helped you. I talked to a lot of guys who said, you know, I, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, I didn't like school, I definitely didn't like college, but I study the shit out of you know drums. I, I want to know how to be a better singer. And the guitar just is hours of entertainment, and I'm happy doing it. And I'm like, yeah. And and there's no limit to what you can do with it either. If you're feeling if you're feeling kind of down, you play some down paced, you know, Sabbath type stuff. Whereas when you're really like really amped up and really want to get into it, play some play some speed metal. Like it's really it's really uh, you can do anything you can put you want to put your mind to with a guitar in your hand. And, you know, in the right, right in the case of the right hand, somebody like an Eddie Van Halen or a Joe Satriani, like you can really make that thing do all the singing you need. All I want to do before I die is just play always with you, always with me once. That's it. If I that can would, play on the guitar, then I will, I will, I will consider myself a complete man musically. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'll ever get that good. It was a simple song. It's just a, but it, it's it's done so well that I'm like, yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's not once. that. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, you're right. That's not that difficult to riff. And that's the thing with some of Van Halen's rhythm stuff is that a lot of it's not very complicated. But it's just executed very, very well. It's very tight. And you think, well, it's just studio post work. No, you see them live and you see the and live show. Exactly, you would do the exact same thing. And the, funny, the funniest part I thought was that uh, I was reading an interview with, I think it was David Lee Roth. And they were mentioning that uh, Eruption was never supposed to be a song that they did. That was Eddie's warm up. That's, that's how we practiced. Get out. Yeah. And the, they happened to record him doing it one day. And the producer's like, no, that's going on the fucking album right now. Because that's phenomenal. And um, nobody, I mean, I, I after shortly after he passed i was you know everybody was doing interviews about it rob halford was uh on tour or was uh, doing a whole round through the podcasts and music magazines uh promoting his book that he just wrote um and they were he was sitting there talking about it, like they asked him like what, what was the first time what were your impressions the first time you heard eddie van halen 
and he, he was like, he's like, one of his friends came over and had played the cassette for him. And he was like, we must have sat in the car and listened to that thing three times cover to cover. Just, you know, and just could not believe what was coming out of their speakers. Because this is 1978, man. Like, right, right. No one was playing like that. Like, Inve wasn't a thing yet. He wasn't. He wasn't. And, and it's always interesting how, you know, Eddie did his thing. But Inve was same kind of virtuoso, but very different style, very different approach, and very different execution. But just both of them were just head and shoulders above everybody else absolutely yes absolutely phenomenal players steve vi too in a lot of ways is very similar where he's just he experimented a whole lot more yeah he did the, the thing with him is he like you say he does a whole lot of stuff that's pretty unorthodox and i really dig that because you know you you put he's kind of just playing around with it and seeing what he can do no it's just just amazing just amazing so look you know ladies and gentlemen we could talk about music all night and this is what we've started doing. And, you know, Daniel reaches out to me and says, Hey, I, I wouldn't peg you for metalhead. And, and then we got to our next favorite thing to talk about, which is, which is what Daniel? That would be Warhammer 40 K. Oh God. Uh, Where do we even start, man? I mean, we uh, could do, we could do a series, just you and me. That's, on- that's the thing is it's such a huge topic and such a wide variety of stuff within that uh, franchise. That's absolutely my, it's like, I think that's honestly one of the reasons people don't get into it is because they realize like, they like kind of like this kind of like the, the art style. They like the games and then they see the lore and like all the stuff there is to know about this and just kind of like, you just kind of like get the eyes glass over and just kind of, uh, uh, for I think, me, I think with the horse heresy, I don't have the exact number, but they're pushing. These are main books and anthologies. They're pushing close to a hundred books just with the horse hairs. I, I think, yeah, I think just the main series books. They're up to fifty-six, and they're not done yet. Right, right. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's just one part of forty k. Well, let's talk about because for me, like I don't know about you, for me, it started with um, I read. Uh, you know, uh, Horse Rising, and then I read the Ultramarines Omnibus and the Space Wolves Omnibus before I even learned that the bad guys are actually the really cool ones, and they have a reason why they're doing this. So let's talk about let's talk about um, let's talk about the uh, Horse Heresy. Like that, like that's the interesting thing with 40k though is there are no good guys. Yes, like, like, even even the quote unquote good faction is absolutely terrible. And only, and only slightly less likely to kill you than everything else. I, I've tried. I, I, I tried telling somebody like you know, there's the emperor and he's you know good, and the and the legions are all good, and the good primarchs are all good. I'm like, no, you you peel back the layers a little bit, and the emperor's kind of a douche, and the good primarchs are weren't weren't that good. Like, and some of the traitor primarchs were some of the best. Case in point. I don't like Lehman Russ at all. Yeah, I can get that. I've never been a huge Space Wolves fan. Um, he's an interesting character, but yeah, like you say, he's not really likable. But then again, when you look at his position in and what the Space Wolves are built to do, that's not really a surprise. He's supposed to kind of set himself apart from everyone else. 
Um, well, they're setting yourself apart and then really just... There's actively being a douche to every single one of your, <laughs> your brothers. Right, right, right. And then, you know, he 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 caused problems because, you know, he just thought he was right all the time. And then the most tragic one, you know, I'm a big Conrad Kerr's Night Lords fan. I haven't dug into the Night Lords backstory yet. I havenven't gotten that far. I just finished um, Prospero Burns. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about that because to me to me it's it's the Night Lords, the Alpha Legion, and then the Thousand Sons. The Alpha Legion's cool as hell if they're well written because it can get cartoony. I've read right. I've read a couple of night of Alpha Legion stories where it's just like okay, how many wheels within wheels plots are we on now? Thank you, thank you. But by far the most tragic the Thousand Sons. I love how they did how they wrote the book too the, of a thousand sons where basically zines just straight up tells magnus at the end like you did all this yeah. i told you what was going to happen way back when and you somehow thought you could beat me and mm -hmm. there's really something really poignant about that where mag or at the end of the book you see magnus with basically everything he built on fire around him having accidentally betrayed his own father and just, and has put in the position where he literally basically lets his, his legion be murdered, including himself because he realizes that they need to be stopped. He, 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 he tried for years. And, and, and this is where I, I tell people where the emperor really didn't, didn't help him, didn't help Angron out a whole lot, but didn't, didn't, because you read later, you'll figure out what the Emperor had in mind for Magnus and his never. Oh, he even, oh, he even says it in A Thousand Sons where, like, you know, uh, but, like, that, that's really the funny part is that half of the Horus Heresy could have been avoided if the Emperor just told people what he was up to. Right, right. And, 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 and you know, he, 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 basically lied to his they weren't his sons you you read later that they were simply a means to an end you read later that that you know they were they were going to be used and like the thunder warriors discarded but very creatively well but, that's i mean that's a debate uh in the series right now is 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 were they because you have certain legions yes legions like the world eaters what the hell are they going to do without a war to fight when your entire personality revolves around beating someone <laughs> beating someone to death with a chain axe then i really don't see a need for them in the you know in the greater plan but you look at someone like the ultramarines well they're the perfect administrators yep and uh, that that's one of the things that really drew me to the ultramarines as my favorite chapter is you see them and they're a very multi-dimensional chapter and on tabletop, they're, they're very similar. They're a very versatile and very um, tactics based chapter where it's more about adapting to what your opponent's doing rather than you have one play style and that's how you do things. Well, they are. And, and some people like them for that. And some people think they're just too straight laced. There's not a lot of flexibility there because they are, they are in a lot of cases, the big blue boy scouts and right depending on who's writing them, they have the worst plot armor I've ever seen. It, it's, like, it's hard because they're supposed to be the good, the good of the good guys. Yeah. But at the same time, like 
you know, this is 40K, boys. It's okay to let an ultramarine die every now and again. There's more than a couple of them. Like, just because he's a named character doesn't mean he has to live. Well, I'm like, how many lives does your real ventress have? I'm like... Oh, my know. God, he's the worst with it. Right? Like, how? How are you still here? <laughs> and how do you keep getting away with doing the things you do? So, speaking of the horse heresy, here's a question I ask people, and I get different answers. How ironic is it that Logar was actually right? That, I think, is the most beautiful irony about the whole thing, is that he was like the arch traitor in, if you look at it, really behind the whole thing um, for the heresy itself. But in the Imperium that they ended up creating, he would be seen as like the hero. Like him and the Ecclesiarchy would get on extremely well. Right, right. In fact, they use his book. This is the thing that absolutely, you know, blew me away is he, he believed before the heresy that he was, you know, proselytizing the truth that the emperor was a God. And he wrote that book, Leticio Divinatus, to that end. And, and the, then, funny, the funniest thing I think about that is that he managed to screw over his own side in the long run because, yes, he screwed over the Imperium in the heresy, but the whole point of that was to, you know, make sure the, that chaos was actually on the winning side again, because at the time of the heresy, the chaos gods were pretty closely gone. The emperor was absolutely smoke checking them up and down the webway. And the funniest thing about that is now in 40K with, uh, with psychic awakening, you find out that there is no more argument. The emperor actually is a god. Now, he, with, whether he was back then or not is irrelevant. He, enough people believe in him as the god emperor that he has basically gained the same powers as a god in the war. But what do you think is going to happen? Because if you read between the lines, the astrominic and the emperor's light is fading. Yes. You know, they are. I mean, that, that's the cool, the cool thing. I want to see where they go with it because obviously they're not going to end obviously it's not going to end well they said that that 40k will never truly end but it's like okay you're you're foreshadowing that there's a major change coming up the the imperium as a whole are becoming more and more psychic aware psychic powerful mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah. the traitor legions can leave and come and go from the eye pretty much at will now what's going to happen with this because you know um I read this book called The Lords of Silence about the Death Guard, and I'm like, okay, I looked at the Death Guard in a whole new light. Yeah, and, the Death Guard are a really interesting crew in a lot of ways, and 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 they're an absolutely horrible opponent to face because even if you do successfully drive them off, good luck living on that planet, planet again. They're hard um, to kill. Yeah, like they're a they're almost impossible to kill, and b even if you do somehow drive them back, the taint of their presence will still be there. It's almost as bad as having an orc horde descend on your planet because once they're there, they're almost impossible to get rid of. You know, it's kind of funny. I haven't really seen them put out an orc-related book in a while. It's, it's, that's, it's... The thi- that's the thing that's like annoying a lot of the community right now, myself included, where, yeah, I'm a Space Marines player, but we want to see other, the other factions get cool new stuff too because that way I have new stuff to play against. Right, right. And I get to, And they get 
to have their fun with the hobby too. But it seems like because space Marines are so popular and almost everyone's first army is one chapter or another of space Marines, then it's almost like the rest of them get no love because, you know, the company's just out to make money, which is, you know, absolutely the point of this whole thing. But well, still, you, you do, you, yeah, you do, you do need to, you know, balance it out a little bit. Games Workshop had one of their best years in 2020. I'm not surprised. Everyone was at, everyone was at home and stuck in their house for months on end. So they had they had to uh, find stuff to do. So in a lot of cases, that was buying more. <laughs> I, I gotta find the article. 40k figures. I gotta find the article. There was an article written about a bunch of active duty Marines that that played Warhammer in their spare time. And it was really weird because I think if I, if I read it right, it wasn't just enlisted playing it. It was enlisted and officers playing together. And, you know, a lot of people, I think the, the thing was they kind of figured out who was a good tactician by how they deployed their armies and played the game. And there's a whole lot of that in that game is about looking at landscape and your know, troop strength. And also knowing where, and also really one of the biggest parts of 40k that um, a lot of people don't realize is above and beyond all that, it's knowing what your strengths and weaknesses as an army are. Right. Like you can't take the towel and throw them into melee against the against the world eaters; they'll just get slaughtered (laughs) horribly. Put them off a couple miles with their uh, scopes, and they'll have fun all day. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, vice versa. You can't, you don't want to run, run an army of black Templars up against the, ta- up against the towel when they're fall- when they're all falling back and, and just sitting there sniping at you. Um, so, you know, you have to use your army to its strengths and really, and also exploit your enemy's weaknesses. And that's where I think the Ultramarines come in very handy is they have a lot of effects and a lot of tactics that you can use to kind of adapt your uh, the same army to multiple different situations and you can do very different things with um with the same force well it's it's a great game i mean the only thing that's kind of been my barrier to entry is the pain of the, the, the figures which is according to some people just as if not more important than learning the game itself yeah and i mean that's the thing i've really enjoyed with some of the 40k groups i'm part of is a lot of people they don't care what you're there for uh it's the same thing with a lot of the battle tech groups i'm part of um where if you're just into it for the lore that's cool i mean i know guys who don't uh play tabletop at all they just play the video games and uh play tabletop or not play tabletop, but uh, play, they play the video games and then they, um, they read the books and stuff like that. And that's cool to me is like, you can be part of a franchise that's based around a game that you've never played and yet still have fun with it. And, and I tell people, I think it's one of the few games out there. Well, like Dungeons and Dragons is another one, of course, but this one truly has something for everybody based on your personality um, doesn't matter yeah. if you're male, female, big, fat, ugly, whatever it is, beautiful. It, depending upon what you like to do, you can build an army around that or read the lore that interests you around that. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think I've found other factions that I that I really dig 
um, through the Lord, uh, the lore and reading the books and stuff like that. Like the orcs, I really don't want to play an orc army because they're expensive as hell because you need a lot of models. But they are the absolute most hilarious faction in any game I've ever seen. Where like everything else has a plan. Yeah, these guys just well, they're more chaotic than chaos. I mean, chaos, they're actually have a grand strategy that they're trying to move towards at their own pace. And yet the orcs just kind of do stuff because it's fun. That they really are kind of fun and kind of over the top, and that's what makes them a blast to to read about and play and, and ask some questions about you know how this all happened. But um I, I got the uh, Space Hulk Deathwing game, and I love pounding around in a Terminator, just blowing stuff up. Oh yeah, I mean it's like especially as a first person as a first person shooter, it's like the ultimate power fantasy because like you know you're not just some random dude, you're a goddamn ter- Space Marine Terminator. Like these guys are like the elite of the elite, and just have this giant hulking suit of power armor with. The, the most devastating set of what sets of weapons in 40k at least if you're on anything short of a titan short of a titan and yeah. like and uh i remember playing dawn of war and dropping it dropping terminators behind people and it was just like oh yeah i'm doing fine i'm doing fine oh he has terminators this just got interesting <laughs> dawn of war one and two were so much fun and then dawn of war three and four were like, oh my I god. I don't know what they did wrong for Dawn of War 3, but it really just did not have that feel to it. Like one and two, fantastic games. Tight, tight games. Oh yeah. I mean, and let's face it, Dawn of War One was what, 2004? And yeah. I still play it. Because yeah. it's still fun. Uh the other game I still play is uh Space Marine, which was my en- entry to the uh to the franchise. The I, Xbox game? Yeah, I picked it up. I picked it up for like five bucks, I think, because I liked the cover art, and I'd heard of Warhammer. I'm like, oh, okay. And then within 20 minutes, I got uh, the game gives you a chainsword, and I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm in love. I played that game. I was on the last level, and my son got it. I hold my controller one day and started playing it, and he overwrote my save. Oh no. <laughs> But it, it really is a great example of what a space marine is because they, they do make you feel that big, uh, powerful. Uh, do, and they really do good, do a good job of showing just how much bigger space marines are than your average person. Well, you had to have seen the Astarte uh, independent uh, clips, right? Oh, absolutely. And oh, in my, my mind, God. absolutely the best fan-made content of, I've ever seen. It blew me away. And I'm like, tell my, my boys, come in here and watch this. This is how you do it. I don't know who that guy is. And it's but, one dude who does yes. it. Yes. That's amazing to me. Uh, and Death of Hope as well. I mean, it's not as brilliant, isn't it technically brilliant? I really, do like what, I really do like what he did, though, where he brought 30K to life in a way that we've never seen before. Because oh, we've never... Of- we never had any games or any kind of like real other than the models. We've never really done much with the horse heresy storylines. Like what'd be really cool is like a space Marines or a space Marine game like game, like third person shooter 
that's set during, you know, during the great crusade. Yeah. Because I mean, um, you know, I'd like to see, you know, the iron hands led by Ferris Manus, you know. Yeah. I feel like they, I feel like they, those three legions really got the short end of the stick in uh, the Horus heresy. Cause basically they just got jumped before they even knew they knew what was really going on and didn't really stand a chance. And like the, they spend like the rest of the heresy just kind of off doing their own thing, trying to rebuild and you never see them again. Not really. And, and, you know, it, it's pretty evident. I don't think Ferris would be pretty happy with the direction his legion has gone if he was around. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, so last little thing on this, um, I keep thinking, personal opinion as a fan, I think there's a way you can bring back uh, Kurz. I think Sanguinius could definitely come back. Sanguinius, there's actually a couple ways that have been thrown around as like theory crafting and some of the groups I'm part of and a couple of the ways that they would talk about, I buy. Um, Kurz, I think there's probably a way to do that. Um, obviously, I mean, Gillum, they brought Gilliman back, so. Which, that must have been a fun conversation to have with the Primarch. So, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, like, everything you told us not to do? We went ahead and did it. We went and did it to the absolute extreme. You, you, you can tell that he's like, wait a minute, what has happened in the last 10,000 years? You, you can tell that he's not exactly like adjusting to you know yeah yeah like you can tell like uh through some of the newer novels like um he almost seems like that the just uh complete the uh nco that was like you know he got in trouble over the weekend and he's just kind of sitting there just like oh no why why do you do these things well well, well i mean the only other one i want to add so last opinion is I'm one of these minorities who believe that Alpharius is still alive, that Dorn didn't kill him. Dorn killed a, a, a proxy and I'm told, look, you can read it. He's dead. I'm like, no, I think it's games workshop ultimate little Trump card. That they're going to pull out where he's still alive. I, th I think you might be right on that one. Um, really? No, okay. it's confirmed. Omegon's still alive. Yes. But like you say, I have a, hard time believing that oh yeah alfarius is dead really which one they all call themselves that thank you and i'm like it's so alpha legion to make everybody believe that he is dead and gone i th i have a theory that they're not actually a traitor legion i i believe that as well I, and i'm because that's that. what they do is infiltration so and if you look at some of the things they've done as being uh, on Chaos's side, they've kind of screwed Chaos over in a lot of ways. Like, look at Vrax, where they dragged them into this long, drawn-out campaign where, yeah, the Imperium was losing Guardsmen, but it's, you know, it's the Imperial Guard. That's what they're for. <laughs> Fifteen minutes. <laughs> Fifteen-minute lifespan once you hit the ground. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. It's, it, it, I, love, I love that, too, that basically the they're the red army on steroids. We're just like, eh, it's just people. We have more of those. Yeah. yeah much. Um, and really straining resources out of some of the chaos fleets with both traitor legionaries and ships and stuff like that. And 
I really think that, like you say, Alfer at some point, Alfarius is going to reveal himself again and then pretty much be like, oh, yeah, by the way, we've been on your side this entire time and dad knows. I, I believe it is just too good. A Legion, the Horace Heresy novel was an excellent freaking book. Yeah, that was a great book where you never, again, you they really did a good job where you never really know what's going on until the very end. Like and you think again, you do, and, and then they the change. End, right? You're reading the end, and it's like, well, what really happens now? And they and they purposely, you know, let you leave that pretty vague. Right, yeah. Right, right. And, um, no, I mean, it's it's really cool to see what, it, I mean, like we said, there's almost 100 books in the series total when you count the short stories and everything. And there's still so many more things they haven't talked about. And some things they've said they'll never talk about, like uh, what happened to the 2nd and 11th Legions. Right, right. Uh, they, they have said over and over again, and they've been asked, but they're never, ever going to reveal what happened. And initially it was just a way so people could make their own homebrew legions for 30K, just like you could chapters for 40K. But eventually the mystery started overtaking it and they started alluding to it in the series. And I haven't read this book yet, but I've seen the inter the interaction where when you have Malkador basically bitch slapping a Primarch for even speaking of it, like that, obviously, like it's like this is like no, we don't talk about that. <laughs> it, it was expunged. I mean, completely expunged. They covered the they covered the statues because you know they they wanted to mark that they were there. But and the cool, the coolest thing to me is that these little references, especially between the Primarchs, they all know what happened to their brothers. Yep. And Lehman Russ, I think, was the reason they're gone. Yeah, and that's why I've always felt like Le there's a lot. He he. He didn't have a lot of closeness with his brothers because they knew what he was. And what yeah, he was. and they knew what what he could be called upon to do if it was necessary. And um, that that's I think really cool in that they all know who he is and what he's done. And I could imagine that, like you know, regardless of you know how much you like him or whatever, you know, he did kill two of your brothers. So yeah, that'd be hard for me to you know. It's like, yeah, like you're never, it's like, we'll still be chill, but we're never going to be the same way again. Yeah, that's why I like the interaction between him and the Khan. The Khan's like, no, I'm good. Yeah, the Khan's no, no. pretty much good with everybody. He's just kind of there doing his thing. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but um, it's just lots of questions. And I think it's the thing. It's like, there's really no good guy. No, and I love that there's really no end to where they can go with this stuff either. Like they can always go deeper down the rabbit hole into uh, campaigns in the heresy or during the crusade or um, going even further back towards the unification war. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what, how did the thunder warriors come into existence? You know, who actually made the call to call them, you know, and when was that done? You know, all kinds of stories or what happened after you know, Horace got killed. I mean, so yeah, they haven't, I mean, they haven't really gone into the scouring yet. I mean, they're up to the siege of Terra, so I'm guessing we're getting pretty close to that. So right, or how how was Mars taken back? I mean, I mean, just go on on on, and it's really good. And a lot of a lot of people, you know, military wise, like it. And, and, and people scoffle. You know, they can't do that stuff in real life. So why is it even worth reading about? I'm like, well, 
you've got guys missing limbs, getting prosthetics, you know, going back into um, combat. Yeah, pretty much. And Which, this is what, in the case of the Mechanicum, they sometimes didn't even really need a prosthetic. They just kind of wanted it. Which is weird. We can talk about the Mechanicum another time. That, that's a whole rabbit hole. I mean, yeah, I, I need I need to do more looking into them because they're a really fascinating chapter or a really fascinating side of things. And they're really different, too. Like, like there's nothing really in sci-fi that's like them. No. You know, they're the technological hub for the entire universe. They can stop or, you know, um, move progress along if they want to. And they have access to all the knowledge, which is why ignorance is so prevalent, which, again, seems to go against what the emperor wanted, which is why if he woke up right now, I don't know what he'd be mad. <laughs> he'd be very mad. Well, brother, I'm looking forward to being able to sit down and talk to you in person, maybe look at your models or whatever. But this has just been a really great time to not really get serious or you know promote somebody but just pretend like i'm in the humvee or five time driving back from the desert to yuma to get you know you know clean porta potties absolutely man it's just yeah sitting on our sitting on our packs after a field exercise just sitting there bullshitting for three hours waiting for the trucks to show up it's, it's really been a refreshing change of pace and i'm going to do it more often i'm so glad that you took the time to talk with me and i i, I here's my promise man the next time we get it to go to a live show we're effing doing it. Absolutely. And I will great. be in the pit because I believe in being in the pit. Absolutely. I mean, like, like, oh, you can get hurt. So don't get back up. Well, if you don't come away with a bruise, were you really in the pit? Were you really in well, the that, That's the thing. Like, that's like the three signs to me that you've been to a good a good show is that you have you have a couple of new bruises. You, you, your neck hurts and you're, you can't hear anything for about a day and a half. That's a good time. Exactly. And that's not country, and that's not pop, and that's not rap. That is metal life. All right. Hey, we're we're closing this down. This is this is really, folks, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, how two Marines might spend an hour or two talking and bullshitting with each other at any time. And, you know, agree, disagree. This is how we do it. And I loved being able to do this tonight with a dude I, I consider a friend and brother. Daniel, thank you so much. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. No problem having you on. we got to talk more 40K. I, I want to see your models. And definitely, 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 let's see when this COVID stuff dies down about doing a, a band or at least getting a group of us together to go to a show. Absolutely. St. Oscar Mike Radio, Mission in Flight.